Welcome to Global IQ with The Economist. Today we'll be discussing the G2 China and America with James Miles, who's been The Economist China correspondent based in Beijing since 2001. I'm Jim Falk, President of the World Affairs Council of Dallas, Fort Worth. I would also like to welcome those of you joining us for the first time from World Affairs Councils around the country. Global IQ is another benefit of your membership. Global IQ, which presents the timeliest international issues of the day, gives World Affairs Council members the opportunity to interact with the magazine's journalists from around the world. Now, during today's broadcast, we'll take your questions, so please send them to us as they come to mind through the online form in your auditorium. Global IQ is sponsored by the University of North Texas, a student-centered public research university with a global reach. UNT has a diverse campus community that includes students from 125 countries in almost every state as well as every county of Texas. It has growing collaborations throughout the world, including a dual degree program with the Universidad Autónoma del Estado de México. Global IQ would also not be possible without the willingness of journalists from The Economist to participate and lend their valuable expertise. Today, James Miles joins us from his home in Beijing. James has held many positions with the BBC, including Beijing bureau chief for BBC News and current affairs Hong Kong correspondent for BBC World Service, and senior Chinese affairs analyst for BBC News London. James, welcome. Thank you very much. Shortly, the Economist will publish. I think it's on October 24th. A special report, China and the America. What, what uh, fortuitous timing of this with President Obama scheduled to go to China for his first visit in early November. Uh, will you set the stage for us? Uh, what are the major themes that you're writing about in this special report? Well, I think it it,、uh, it sets the scene of, of, of what has been a much talked about relationship, particularly in the last few months amid this global economic crisis. The big question being, how is Chinese power changing with respect to American power?、Uh, how much uh, uh, seriousness should we attach to this talk of a of a G2 of of, of America and China? Uh, one thing that is very clear is that China's perceived strength、uh, has been rising very fast in in relation to America's、uh, throughout the last、uh, few months, in particular.、Uh, we've seen that in the in the recent summit meetings,、uh, in the margins of 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 the G20 meetings between President Obama and his Chinese counterpart Hu Jintao.、Uh, those Summits have been presented、uh, by the global media as being far more important events, really, than the, the G20 meetings themselves.、Uh, and there's been talk in, in, in mainstream political circles、uh, in the United States,、uh, to some extent even here in China as well,、uh, about how the two countries should now really regard themselves、uh, as the key. Actors、uh, in trying to remedy the, 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 the world's problems.、Uh, those are economic problems primarily at the moment, but they cover a, a huge range of other issues.、Uh, climate change will be at the centre of President Obama's visit, of course.、Uh, there are also questions of, of、uh, nuclear proliferation,、uh, how to deal with、uh, global epidemics、uh, such as、uh, swine flu, as we're now facing. 
uh, and uh, whatever problem uh, on a global scale that we're looking at, uh, these two countries uh, will inevitably be right at the center. Uh, so uh, America has to talk to China. Uh, China uh, is realizing very fast uh, that it is uh, becoming central to, uh, to America's uh, global preoccupations. But what I also argue is that uh, is that China's actual strength uh, by, by most measures, uh, all but in one very important arena, which I'll get onto in a second, uh, its actual strength is rising much more slowly. Uh, and uh, America is still a very long way ahead. Uh, the danger now, I think, is that China will overestimate its strength, um, become perhaps overly complacent about, uh, about this idea of its decoupling from the rest of the world's woes, because what we've seen during these last few months is a China that has been powering ahead economically, not as fast as it was before the crisis, of course, but still growing at an impressive rate. Uh, a, a greater sense of confidence emerging in China uh, that its economy does not depend to the extent uh, that, that many Chinese leaders themselves uh, believed it, uh, it did on, on, on the American economy, uh, that China can, in a way, uh, go it alone. Uh, uh, I think, in fact, uh, before this crisis, the two countries were not quite as symbiotic uh, as, as, uh, as this talk suggested, that in fact uh, uh, China's growth was coming uh, much more from internal factors rather than its uh, export prowess than, uh, than some people were suggesting. Uh, but nonetheless, we now have a, a country which is beginning to realize that it can grow even as the rest of the world is, is sort of uh, uh, finding itself um, uh, struggling in a kind of economic rubble. Uh, and the danger, I think, uh, which I argue about in, in, in this special report, is that uh, th this might change the way China looks at the world, uh, about its relationship with America in particular, uh, and that it might, become, uh, might well become over overly confident uh, about uh, what it perceives as, as, a, as a rapidly narrowing gap uh, in, uh, in its strength vis-à-vis -vis that of America. Uh, this, this big exception to the, uh, to the picture of uh, China's... Um, slowly growing strength, as I, as I would put it, uh, is in the military realm. And we, we saw that put on stunning display on October the 1st here in Beijing during the National Day uh, celebrations, the 60th anniversary of the founding of Communist China, uh, during which we saw uh, everything from intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, to uh, newly developed cruise missiles to Chinese uh, made uh, advanced fighter jets, the, uh, the new J-10, uh, screaming overhead uh, down the center of uh, Beijing. This was a, a display of, uh, of, of raw military might, uh, which was intended to send powerful messages both internally and externally. Uh, and the external message, I think, was that China, over the last decade since its last big military parade through Beijing uh, had come a long way in terms of developing its own military technologies, that it was now becoming, uh, in certain military spheres, uh, a power which can 
uh, at least um, uh, complicate uh, uh, or possibly complicate enormously uh, any thoughts that America might entertain of, of intervening in any crisis that arises uh, close to China, and that, that would obviously be uh, uh, a crisis in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, you'll recall the crisis that occurred in the mid-90s. Uh, in 1996, uh, the United States sent two aircraft carriers close to, uh, to Taiwan uh, as, as a warning to China to, to back off uh, during, during an escalation of tensions. That kind of action would now be much more difficult. Uh, and the kind of danger, I think, that we're going to be looking at over the, over the, over the years ahead uh, is not so much one of, uh, of Chinese leaders uh, as we now see them uh, suddenly uh, throwing off their masks and, and emerging as, as, as much more hostile to the United States. I think the leaders we're now dealing with in China are, are by and large, very pragmatic, who do see the importance of stable relations with the United States. Uh, but there are uh, internal pressures in China which are also growing, uh, internal weaknesses which, uh, which are growing too, uh, which could complicate the political picture in China uh, and which will put uh, pressures on, on the top echelons of the leadership uh, and possibly bring about uh, changes there which, uh, which could destabilize uh, China's external position as well. Uh, America, in a way, over the last, 30 years since the establishment of diplomatic relations this year is, a, uh, is the anniversary of that. It has been a, a rather lucky country in a sense. It, it has um, gone through uh, a, a number of uh, political leadership transitions in, uh, in China uh, which uh, have not resulted in any significant adjustment in, in China's relationship with America. But I don't, I don't think that can be depended on. And I think we're now seeing more and more pressures building up inside China, which could, uh, over, the, uh, over the next few years, in, in the longer term certainly, uh, make this a more complicated relationship. Uh, there are a number of things, I think, also on the, on the horizon, which, uh, which will come as, as a bit of a psychological uh, shock is over, over, overstating it, but, but will send tremors psychologically through America. Uh, and I'm thinking of uh, China's uh, rise as, as, a, uh, as, as a technological uh, power. Uh, we saw how Americans were worried about uh, Japan's uh, post-war economic rise and how that uh, would play out in terms of Japanese acquisition of uh, of, of American brands, its, its presence in, uh, in the American economic scene. Well, we're about to see the same kind of jitters repeated in the case of China, unnecessary ones, I think, just as they were um, uncalled for in the case of uh, Japan. But those sentiments certainly will be there in America. And I think they will uh, be heightened also by some, some headline achievements that China is, is, is going to be reaching, uh, reaching for in the next few years. Uh, its uh, ambitions in space, I think, uh, will, uh, will draw attention to, uh, to China's rise, particularly, uh, just at a time when uh, America's own uh, space program, at least right now, has a lot of question marks over it, uh, where it's going, what America is going to be doing. I think China has a much clearer idea of what it's going to be doing, and, and 
uh, although it hasn't officially stated it yet, it, it uh, uh, looks uh, geared to, to put a man on the moon sometime in the, in, in the next 10 or 15 years. Uh, we're also going to see uh, China catching up uh, with America in terms of the uh, size of its GDP. Uh, of course, uh, that won't be quite as impressive as it sounds because uh, in per capita terms, China will still be uh, uh, only a quarter or so the size of America's economy. Uh, but it will uh, draw attention to, to this uh, enormous uh, economic change that's going on. Uh, and uh, uh, at a time when uh, China's uh, uh, continuing military build-up uh, uh, is also raising concerns uh, at a time when nationalist sentiment in China uh, is continuing to grow, notwithstanding this uh, ever closer engagement between America and China, uh, I think developments such as these will uh, will raise uh, will raise questions. Um, my Longer-term prediction, that is, looking out over the next 10 or 15 years, is that quite probably America will be able to manage uh, these changes going on in China. Uh, uh, China itself, uh, in spite of the stresses that we see internally, uh, will probably remain stable. But that doesn't mean to say that, uh, that the way China is changing politically uh, will be something that is uh, that is welcomed by Americans. And indeed, uh, looking at whatever scenario one, one imagines for China's political future, whether it's uh, the gradual development of some kind of uh, democratic political system, uh, which I think over the next uh, 10 or 15 years or so is probably one of, one of the less likely options, uh, or whether it's a continuation of the, of the present situation, which is uh, the party... Uh, tenaciously clinging to its authoritarian ways, uh, or whether uh, it's a China that becomes much more unstable and the kind of unrest that we've seen, over the, particularly over the last couple of years, uh, that's roiled uh, Tibet and, and Xinjiang, massive explosions of unrest that have occurred in spite of very rapid economic growth in both those uh, ethnic minority regions, whether that spreads across to other parts of China I think it's something well worth uh, asking ourselves. But all of those uh, uh, scenarios that one can think of um, present uh, different kinds of challenges to America. Uh, and even a democratic China uh, is, is not necessarily one that, uh, uh, that America uh, will, will uh, uh, get on easily with. Uh, and, and I think what we could see over the longer term uh, perhaps beyond uh, uh, the current administration, but looking ahead over the uh, uh, over the next uh, ten to twenty years, uh, is increasingly uh, the internal political situation in China uh, becoming a problem in the broader Sino-U.S. sphere. Uh, it hasn't, by and large, been a problem uh, uh, so far, notwithstanding the huge eruption in China in 1989, the Tiananmen Square protests, which, which for, for a while, but a very short while, appeared to, uh, uh, to rock the boat. Uh, but it was quickly clear that, that leaders on both sides were desperate to, uh, to preserve the relationship. Uh, I think uh, in, in future we can't uh, be sure that, uh, that that kind of stability 
uh, will be possible to maintain uh, through a through a, a serious political crisis in China. Well, let, let's probe some of the points of tension that, that you've touched upon. Um, as you know, we're, we're calling from Dallas, and uh, uh, <coughs> current uh, head of USTR is uh, our former mayor, Ron Kirk, and uh, the magazine wrote a very strong editorial, I guess on September 19th, uh, called Economic Vandalism, concerning the decision of the Obama administration to impose tariffs on the imported tires. Give us some of the background on that and, and, and what the ramifications are as, as you see it on on that specifically, as well as some of the other issues surrounding uh, free trade. Well, that's another aspect of, of what I think will become a, a problem in the, grow, in, in, in the relationship over the next uh, a few years. Uh, a sense in both countries that uh, the other is uh, uh, not playing by the rules when it comes to trade and, and uh, protectionist Sentiments uh, are likely to rise in, in both countries, um, uh, notwithstanding China's um, uh, seeming uh, – I mean, isolation is not quite right. It, it has certainly been affected uh, by the global economic crisis, uh, but its, uh, its ability so far to withstand the worst effects of that, uh, notwithstanding, I think uh, protectionist sentiments will be uh, rising here in China as well. Uh, and uh, the Chinese, I think, were dismayed by what they saw as, a, uh, as an early sign of that uh, on the part of President Obama in the form of uh, imposing tariffs on imports of Chinese tires. Uh, it was, uh, I think, something that, uh, that they sort of expected would uh, would happen sooner or later uh, in the Obama administration. Uh, one of their concerns in the in the build up to the U.S. presidential elections was was that a, a democratic administration uh, would be more inclined in that direction. Uh, and I think uh, its worst fears of, of that nature uh, uh, have not been materialized, and I think it's been pre pleasantly surprised overall by uh, Obama's. Uh, degree of willingness to, to engage with China. He's uh, continued the process of engagement that uh, the President Bush, uh, after, a, after an initially rather rocky start with China, um, uh, very actively pursued after 9-11. After uh, now President Obama uh, is going even further, uh, and that helps to take some of the uh, some of the sting out of out of a move such as, such as this. Uh, also, one has to bear in mind that uh, the tariffs that have been imposed affect a, a part of bilateral trade that is still uh, tiny in comparison with the overall uh, the overall number. Uh, uh, we're not looking uh, uh, at a, at an imminent all-out trade war between the two countries, and that and there's a great deal of common sense and pragmatism that still. Uh, prevails here. Uh, but James, China, what do you think will um, say? Like uh, Steve Levine, who's listening from Washington, says: Does climate change, specifically the possibility of a carbon trade barrier being erected as part of cap and trade in the U.S., suggest more tension between the countries at the times of worries of trade war? Well, that, that I think is, is indeed likely. Uh, it, it's interesting how the whole climate 
change debate has been formulated here, and uh, here in China as well as in uh, Washington, as, as uh, potentially something that could bring the two countries closer together. Uh, although the nature of this problem is massive, the disagreements between the two sides seem to be uh, so huge. Uh, there is also uh, a conviction uh, among uh, members of the administration and, and uh, scholars in, in, in Washington, uh, as well as um, their counterparts here in, in Beijing, that uh, if a way can be found to cooperate uh, on this and, and, uh, and to appear to be uh, cooperating on this to, uh, to the rest of the world, uh, then something new could dawn in Sino-U.S. relations, that this could be the underpinnings of, of, of a much more confident relationship between China and America. Uh, but my own feeling is that, uh, that this, this really is a profoundly difficult uh, problem, and, and already we're, uh, we're seeing... Uh, uh, particularly in America, as, as President Obama is distracted by the uh, debate over health care, uh, how uh, top-level uh, political will uh, is, is not uh, fully rallying around this to the extent that is actually needed to, uh, to bring about a, a, a consensus, consensus that will survive uh, critics uh, uh, from from the other side of the Pacific in both cases. Uh, what we're likely to see, I think, during President Obama's visit is, is, is a broad agreement on uh, on clean energy cooperation. Uh, there may well be specific projects set up uh, which aim to explore technological cooperation in in. Uh, uh, in reducing carbon emissions from uh, uh, from uh, power plants here in China, uh, uh, technologies that would explore uh, uh, carbon capture and storage, uh, and so on. But I think the the underlying uh, difficulty will not be removed, namely that we have two uh, countries uh, with fiercely competitive uh, companies uh, on the American side, which are not willing to uh, to give away technologies to China. Um, uh, China is investing a huge amount on green uh, technologies and sees this as a uh, as a way of establishing uh, a dominance in in a, in a technological sphere that that it hasn't been able to establish in so many others. Uh, I think that what is more likely is that competition will grow between the two countries. China will complain that the uh, the cash and technology is not forthcoming from America. America will complain that uh, that uh, China is fudging its figures, it's not doing enough. Uh, the Chinese, of course, will complain that the Americans are not doing enough. And I think um, more likely is that recriminations will uh, will grow between the two sides rather than cooperation being strengthened. One of our listeners is working on a large development project, he says, in the Shindu region of China, and he comments that the local requirements and regulations for projects to be green and are, are actually quite stringent, and he says they're really very encouraging. Is, is this coming from, say, the, the national government, or is it, is it local? 
Um, and along the same lines, um, another listener asks, uh, can you comment on the changes or shift in environmental policies and efforts, and are these being influenced more by external factors, other countries calling for more international engagement, or is it, again, locally driven? Well, I, th I, think, I think what we're now seeing in China in terms of its approach to, uh, to climate change is, uh, is largely a, a, a centrally uh, driven one. Um, uh, and local governments, uh, to varying degrees, uh, are uh, falling in line. Uh, what we have seen is, uh, is, is uh, new regulations being uh, promulgated that, uh, uh, that require local officials to, uh, to meet certain uh, energy intensity uh, uh, targets. Uh, uh, we know that, uh, that within their own uh, current uh, five-year plan, which, uh, uh, which took effect in 2006, uh, they set a target of reducing uh, uh, energy intensity by uh, 20% uh, by the end of this, uh, this decade. That was very much a central uh, initiative, and, and it's recently been uh, hinted very strongly that, uh, that the next five-year plan uh, will... Uh, will include uh, targets uh, for uh, uh, for carbon intensity, that is reducing the amount of carbon emitted per unit of uh, GDP. Uh, but at the local level, I think uh, we're going to find um, different parts of the, the country responding in different ways. Uh, uh, for those uh, uh, local officials who depend uh, uh, whose local industries depend very much uh, on uh, 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 high uh, uh, carbon-emitting uh, processes, uh, energy production, uh, uh, heavy industries, uh, mining indeed, uh, which, which uh, in China is, is, is also a, a major source of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, uh, those will be uh, reluctant to fall in line. Uh, and very often the story in China is one of uh, centrally gov central government directives being thwarted by, uh, by local uh, resistance. Uh, we've seen it, uh, for example, in the coal industry where China uh, has been uh, trying very hard since the middle of this decade to close down the thousands of uh, tiny uh, coal mines that are responsible for so much, so many of the, the mining deaths in the country, and to cons consolidate this industry. But, uh, but uh, local governments have been putting up uh, big resistance to this. It's a major source of revenue for them, uh, and always, uh, e even though we have uh, certain requirements now built into the. Uh, uh, to the stipulations for uh, 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 for the promotion of uh, of local officials in in, in the form of uh, energy efficiency targets and so on, uh, the, the the bigger target for these local officials will always be that of maintaining stability. That is always going to be the number one priority. Uh, and if any uh, green measures uh, 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 somehow disrupt. Uh, the engine of economic growth um, and, and, and thereby lead to uh, a backlash from the, uh, the local population, uh, that will count as a much bigger black mark against any local official uh, than, than exceeding any uh, carbon intensity targets. Let's, let's, 
focus a little bit more still on um, trade in the sense that back in 2005, China's national oil company tried to buy Unical, and we remember what happened there. Um, we read in this weekend's papers that China Chinese company is making a bid for Hummer. Do you think China has, has learned, um, or, or are we more receptive to Chinese investments given our economic situation in the United States now? Well, I think we're, we're, we're at the beginning of a very uh, new process here, uh, a China that is beginning to emerge on the world stage as, as, as an exporter of, uh, of capital. Uh, it, it's been a very hesitant process for the Chinese, and that particular uh, incident that you mentioned was, was a very sobering one uh, from the point of view of policymakers here in Beijing. Uh, they simply had not expected uh, that their attempts to take over a, uh, a company in, a, in America, uh, Unical, which, uh, uh, which they thought of as, uh, as very much second tier, kind of out of, out of uh, uh, the, uh, the consciousness of, of, of most people in, uh, in, in Washington, would turn into such a major uh, political issue and be portrayed as as an attempt by China to uh, to take over uh, uh, a key strategic asset of the uh, of the Americans. I mean, uh, never mind that uh, that that, uh, that most of uh, Unical's operations uh, were offshore ones that uh, uh, that, that pose uh, the, the China's acquisition of which would would have absolutely no impact on. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on America's situation, um, that that was something that caused them to uh, to hesitate, and and uh, uh, I think we're now beginning to see the the beginning of a uh, of a second wave. They've encountered problems already uh, uh, in Australia, uh, political backlash there against attempts to take over uh, resource uh, related industries. Uh, and I think we're going to see it again and again uh, uh, in, in developed economies, especially uh, the case you mentioned in, in, in Ghana, of course, uh, reflects that China is also uh, pushing into, uh, into the developing world. And, and Africa is the most conspicuous example of that, uh, where it sees uh, huge opportunities in, in the resource. Second. Right. I think it was in the day's paper that they've put an arrival bid against Exxon for some properties in Ghana. Right. Um, uh, we're going to see uh, more and more of that, uh, and worries that uh, uh, that China's uh, march into this sphere is is being led by by big state-owned companies uh, uh, with all the backing of, uh, of of a state-run financial system. Uh, but nonetheless, I think China is at the beginning of a uh, of a learning curve. Here, uh, it uh, it keeps being taken aback by the degree of skepticism expressed uh, in the West and in in America in particular about these kind of acquisitions. Uh, but I think each time it also draws back and 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 tries to learn lessons. Uh, and what we're likely to see over the coming few years is that uh, these attempts uh, by China to become uh, more engaged globally in terms of uh, exporting uh, capital will also help China in a way to 
discover what it is to be uh, to be a responsible global power to use that um, you know, what eventually became a kind of cliche of the, of, of, of the Bush administration uh, when talking about China, uh, a responsible stakeholder. Uh, that that term has now somewhat fallen out of favour with the new administration. But but essentially that's what uh, Mr. Obama and his team want uh, want China uh, to become. Even though the phraseology has changed, and, and I think uh, there are grounds for some optimism that it can become. Uh, a, a responsible stakeholder of sorts, uh, a country that's much more aware than it has been over the last um, you know, 30 years since uh, it established relations with America, of, of its being a part of the world's problems and not just uh, 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 getting on with its own thing uh, in isolation from them. Uh, however, I think what, what will not change, uh, in, certainly in the coming sort of a decade or so uh, is any uh, uh, aspect of its political system, and this sense that China's march onto the world stage uh, is coming from an authoritarian system uh, will also uh, be something of a cloud over uh, what is otherwise uh, seen as an increasingly positive development. Uh, and uh, the risk, I think, is 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 that um, the nature of the system here uh, will also act as, um, uh, as something of a confidence booster for uh, for some of these very unsavory uh, regimes that uh, that China is doing business with in uh, in continents uh, such as Africa or uh, Latin America, uh, and and we could see. Um, a, 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 a difficult set of, uh, of pressures at work here, uh, uh, with China uh, at once being accused of, uh, of supporting authoritarianism, uh, but on the other hand, uh, uh, becoming an increasingly important, uh, and from many countries' point of view, uh, and in, that includes America and Australia and others, uh, an increasingly important source of, uh, source of capital. Right, but then, of course, that always puts interesting pressure on the United States when you talk about authoritarian and the lack of human rights. Because at one point, you know, will we lose? You wish our our moral authority. If, well, that, if, that if, is going to be a huge dilemma for America. Uh, I, I think uh, we're, we're, one can't really overstate the degree to which we're moving into a new era here. Uh, where uh, problems uh, uh, abound now that are truly uh, global ones that do absolutely uh, require uh, China's active involvement uh, to solve. Uh, the old scenario of the Cold War era, America versus the Soviet Union, is, is not the picture at all that describes this relationship uh, between China and America. Uh, this is one that, uh, that come what may, whatever reservations uh, people may have in, in America about China, uh, will require deep and close cooperation between the two countries. Uh, and I think it's going to be rather difficult uh, uh, to deal with some of the questions that will be raised by this, because if you look at some of the, in fact, you know, the uh, big responses that China has made to to global crises over over the last decade, there has been uh, an authoritarian 
edge uh, to all of them, whether it's the response to the SARS epi epidemic in 2003, uh, which um, after, a, uh, after a shaky start involved uh, a draconian uh, response, uh, a, uh, a clear decision by the top leadership that the whole country must, uh, must fall in line on this. And as a result, uh, rural areas were uh, sealed off from the cities effectively. Uh, uh, movement around the country was highly restricted. Uh, and measures such as these were, were praised for, uh, for, for bringing the problem under control. Uh, again, in the economic crisis, we saw China unveil uh, a huge stimulus package uh, in November last year, uh, 4 trillion yen, getting on 600 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, without any reference to any democratic process, uh, China's legislature met in, uh, in, in March of this year for its annual session. There was no separate debate about stimulus measures. Uh, only the barest of details were, uh, were announced at the parliamentary session, and there was no real discussion of them. Uh, and yet, uh, those... Uh, stimulus measures uh, have been praised for, for bringing about the growth that has helped, uh, uh, is now helping to, 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 to bring the world out of its misery. Uh, uh, and I think uh, uh, when it comes to climate change too, uh, we're, uh, we're facing a similar issue. Uh, the Chinese now uh, being uh, praised for having, having got the message on climate change. Uh, President uh, Hu Jintao uh, recently during his visit to America, uh, uh, saying that there will be um, significant uh, cuts in, uh, in China's uh, uh, carbon emissions per, uh, per unit of uh, GDP in the coming years, uh, a sense among some that China uh, is more focused on this even than America, but lacking the underpinnings uh, of any kind of democratic debate about it here in here in China. What's been complicating President Obama's response to this has been very much the democratic process in America. Uh, there is no such process here in China. Uh, and if there were indeed such a debate uh, in China, I think it would be a, a much more difficult situation. Uh, Chinese leaders, I think, would find it more difficult to to make these kind of announcements and, uh, and promises, and certainly much more difficult to, uh, to actually push them through. So in a way, it's China's authoritarianism uh, that helps America uh, and helps the world generally. Uh, and uh, that then raises that very difficult question of what should we be doing about uh, democracy in China? To what extent should that process be, uh, be encouraged? Uh, I think there is a very good reason still for uh, for encouraging democracy in uh, in China uh, because one risk that China faces uh, is uh, and it's not just a risk for China this is a risk for the region and for the world generally uh, is its own uh, instability and and that instability I think is is exacerbated by by a lack of democracy uh, the authoritarianism which I think is likely to persist over the over the next decade or decade, uh, next couple of decades, uh, is not a stable one, uh, and I think it's far more difficult to be confident uh, that you know, come uh, 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 the middle of this uh, century, when China will be c celebrating 
100 years of, of, of communist rule, it's, uh, or, or rather that's what it would like now to be celebrating. It's, it's very, very difficult indeed to say what kind of political system will be here. And I, I think uh, the, the well, great thing I wanted to do well, the great you, likelihood I mean, between yeah. now and then is that we will face some some considerable disruption. You see, you see now with the economic crisis that uh, numerous Chinese companies certainly had to close, and uh, thousands of, if not millions, of people went back to their their villages or small towns in in, in the interior. Um, what what has happened with them, and is that not just a tremendous source of instability? And uh, what I believe I read that. Close to 300 million Chinese live under two dollars a day. Is that is that right? So there's still just uh, you know gigantic, enormous uh, problems of poverty in the country. Well, yes, uh, uh, there's a lot of truth in that. But uh, but I think what what we've seen over the last few months uh, has been something that has given Chinese leaders uh, somewhat greater confidence that. Uh, that this particular problem in their development is not something that is that is immediately threatening to political stability. If we go back to the beginning of this year, there were widespread reports in China that that these millions of layoffs from the export sector would lead to unrest. Uh, and given the numbers involved, uh, we were talking about uh, 20 million or so uh, laid off from factories uh, in coastal cities, uh, big, uh, important cities in the Yangtze and Pearl River deltas. Uh, this this could have led, uh, some fear, to, to, to some pretty uh, serious unrest. Uh, in fact, what we've seen is is next to none. Uh, these people, uh, by and large, have... Uh, have gone back to their uh, hometowns. Uh, some have found new jobs closer to home. Uh, we're now finding a situation uh, in these coastal areas where uh, where many of these factories, as, as uh, Christmas orders begin piling up, are uh, are desperate again for uh, for workers, and there are actually not enough of them uh, coming back from their villages to uh, to take up jobs in these factories. So. So rather rather curiously, there's there's talk of a of a labour shortage, uh, believe it or not, in 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 uh, uh, some parts of China. Uh, but what certainly has not happened uh, is a huge threat to the uh, Chinese leadership. I think what they're much more uh, uh, concerned about uh, is the impact or potential impact of the uh, global economic crisis on on the urban middle class and and i think the the middle class is really the the key to to understanding uh, china's political future uh, i think uh, the system uh, uh, can tolerate a, a very considerable degree of uh, dissatisfaction and unrest in the countryside and and uh, the, 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 there is uh, a huge problem with that already with uh, thousands tens of thousands perhaps of uh, protests here and there around the uh, around the countryside every year, uh, but they never coalesce into anything meaningful in terms of a threat to, uh, to central authority, and they never take on the the hue of of, uh, of an anti-communist uh, party movement. But the urban middle class, which is a, which is a very new creature here in China, uh, is uh, something that is 
uh, that has grown only in the last really, uh, last decade or so, really, um, that is uh, growing fast, uh, that is becoming increasingly confident uh, uh, when it comes to uh, expressing itself. Uh, uh, and although, uh, by and large, it has uh, an enormous commitment now to the to the status quo and is appreciative of of the kind of stability that the uh, and growth that the Communist Party has, met, be, has managed to achieve, uh, there is no guarantee that that relationship between the middle class and the Communist Party will uh, will last. And what particularly could threaten this is 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 a serious economic slowdown that affects urban growth and not just rural uh, rural growth uh, that affects uh, uh, the white collar. Uh, workers in the cities who are not, uh, uh, and not just those uh, in, in the coastal uh, uh, export industries, uh, but those across uh, urban China who have uh, prospered in a variety of different ways uh, as a result of the economic explosion over the last few years. Uh, if they start to lose their confidence, then then we could be looking at a very different picture. And so far, over the last few months, there's there's hardly been uh, any appreciable change in in the level of urban employment. Uh, uh, urban unemployment has has risen by uh, a mere whisker uh, since. What is it? What is the unemployment? Well, uh, officially, uh, it's um, around four and a half uh, percent. Um, mm. Uh, and a few years ago, we would have uh, uh, said that, uh, in fact, urban uh, unemployment was uh, was much higher than these official statistics uh, suggest. Uh, now, I think it's probably uh, somewhere nearer the, the truth. It's always a complicated picture because uh, unemployment statistics for urban China uh, don't include uh, migrant workers who've come in from the countryside and may have lost their jobs and and remain uh, in the cities. They're not counted in these figures. Uh, but uh, whereas in the 1990s we were skeptical about such figures because huge numbers of people were being laid off from state-owned enterprises, millions and millions of them, uh, and were not being inc- uh, included in uh, in unemployment figures because uh, the authorities were kind of fudging them by uh, keeping them officially on the payroll but not actually paying them. Uh, now that problem has largely been uh, cleared up. Uh, and uh, uh, although it's certainly worth questioning the, the official numbers on uh, employment, uh, anecdotally uh, what, what we hear from urban residents uh, by and large bears up uh, these official statistics, namely that there hasn't really been a significant change uh, even through this economic crisis. Uh, but there are certainly worries and, and problems on the horizon here and, and worries, for example, that, uh, that the stimulus spending uh, may lose uh, steam, that it's uh, not being spent in ways that will uh, sustain long-term growth, uh, that, uh, that uh, domestic uh, consumption, which is a critical part of uh, of China's uh, recovery and and uh, and indeed rebalancing of uh, of the global economy, uh, uh, such that uh, China becomes uh, even less dependent on exports. Uh, uh, that uh, aspect of the equation, I think, uh, r- remains very much in doubt, and and 
there is a, a widespread concern among economists here that uh, that d domestic consumption uh, is still uh, a good few years away from uh, picking up to, uh, to levels that, that, that will allow uh, uh, China uh, and, uh, to, to wean itself uh, much more off exports. Mm -hmm. James, let me ask you, one of our listeners, and we have about oh, 12 minutes more to go, so if you have questions, please do send them in. But one of our listeners is with the Utah Council, and they asked about the role of the current ambassador to China, uh, Ambassador Huntsman. Are you seeing, have you met with him, and is he taking a very visible role in, in Beijing? I haven't personally met him yet, uh, but uh, uh, impressions of him, uh, uh, I think, from all sides are very favorable indeed. Uh, uh, he uh, he has uh, met journalists. Uh, he, uh, he he appears to be uh, very open and uh, and willing to talk. Uh, and uh, uh, and and very well briefed on on uh, the problems he uh, confronts here. I mean, he's arrived at a uh, at a particularly difficult time with uh, you know straight into preparations for this uh, presidential visit, and it's a visit that. Uh, uh, that the Chinese are placing enormous store by uh, some Chinese officials, even referring to this one as as being important as President Nixon's visit to China in in, in 1972. Uh, that I think is uh, distinctly overstating. Lots of expectations for our president. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but nonetheless, um, uh, you know, he's he's had to hit the ground uh, running here and and working out that. Schedule is, is going to be an enormously uh, complex one, sort of making well, sure that, 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 right that, that reminds me, you and I t talked a bit about the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, what has been the reaction in Beijing about President Obama uh, receiving the, the prize? Well, that's a rather complicated one for the Chinese to deal with. Uh, they're not too keen on the, the Nobel Peace Prize as a concept anyway, not least because uh, figures they feel distinctly uncomfortable uh, with have been recipients of it in the past, and, and the most obvious one is, is the Dalai Lama. Uh, uh, there is a feeling among Chinese officials that, uh, uh, that these awards are made with... Uh, uh, with political motives that uh, that reflect uh, Western uh, preoccupations, uh, and uh, I think uh, they will be uh, skeptical about uh, President Obama's uh, uh, receiving this particular award. Uh, however, um, not entirely. Um, uh, down in the mouth, uh, given that uh, the other possibilities, namely that a, a Chinese dissident might win the award, uh, uh, had also been uh, widely touted in the, in, in the build-up uh, to this announcement. Uh, so I think they'd be somewhat relieved that that didn't happen. Uh, and there is another possibility I think, I think is worth throwing out there, namely that uh, there has been this big question about whether uh, President Obama should uh, should have met uh, the, the Dalai Lama um, during his uh, recent visit to the, to the United States. It was made clear, of course, beforehand that he, uh, he wouldn't be and that, uh, that any meeting would take place after his visit to China. And this, this was a break from precedent, uh, not since the, uh, well, since the early 1990s. Uh, every single uh, American uh, president has has met the Dalai Lama when when he's been passing through uh, Washington. So so President Obama has uh, uh, taken 
uh, an unusual line here uh, that is clearly aimed at, uh, at uh, uh, softening up the Chinese uh, prior to his visit. Uh, he clearly does not want uh, uh, this visit to be uh, disrupted by arguments uh, over human rights-related issues or, uh, or Tibet. Uh, climate change, not least, is, is uh, so uh, crucial on the on the on the bilateral agenda. Uh, Hillary Clinton made that clear uh, when she visited China earlier this year and said that uh, uh, said in effect that human rights would not be allowed to get in the way of cooperation on climate change and other uh, 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 economic, security-related bilateral issues. Uh, what could now happen as a result of President Obama uh, winning the Nobel Peace Prize is that maybe after uh, this summit, when Mr. Obama does meet the Dalai Lama, uh, the blow could be perhaps softened a little bit uh, in, in presentational terms anyway, from, from a Chinese perspective, uh, by this being a meeting between two Nobel Peace Prize winners, something that is kind of bound to happen anyway, rather than a meeting between a president and and, and the Dalai Lama. Uh, that's that's something that may help the Chinese uh, 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 swallow this uh, uh, somewhat mm -hmm. easier than, than that might be the case. Well, we have about eight minutes left, and I can't believe we haven't talked about Afghanistan or Iran. So we we, we better do it, and we have a number of questions uh, on these issues. Um, do you believe that Beijing is going to be a barrier to Washington obtaining a consensus on greater sanctions against Iran? You could uh, give, your, uh, give us your thoughts on that, as well as uh, how is China playing it, the, the, uh, the, its cards with Afghanistan? Well, Iran is a very good example of, of what I was talking about earlier in, in terms of the, uh, the conflicting pressures that, uh, that China uh, is 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 feeling as as it uh, extends itself on the on the world stage uh, economically uh, iran is of considerable interest to uh, china from uh, fr from an oil production uh, point of view uh, and uh, it does not want to, to jeopardize that just as it didn't want to uh, to jeopardize its uh, its relations with uh, sudan uh, for similar uh, oil related Reasons, uh, but I don't think that necessarily means that that China uh, is stuck. We saw in the case of Sudan uh, how, uh, in the end, uh, it responded to uh, a huge international outcry over the humanitarian situation there uh, to uh, to begin to nudge uh, the Sudanese leadership in, into accepting. Uh, UN involvement in uh, in, in uh, addressing that crisis. Uh, in the case of Iran, we haven't got quite the same pressure in, in the form of public opinion in uh, in Western countries, and there's a great deal of uh, ambivalence among uh, among Western publics about what should be done in this case. Uh, that I think uh, will slow down. Uh, or uh, uh, raise question marks uh, here in Beijing about what exactly it is that China should be doing. And also, I think, uh, the Chinese are still looking at this and wondering what it is that, uh, that the Americans and, and Europeans and others uh, want to do uh, in the case of Iran. Uh, it itself is waiting for a clear signal. Um, and... 
uh, I think one shouldn't rule out the possibility that uh, that one, when one is forthcoming, and 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 there really is. Uh, a clear sense of urgency and, and a clear unanimity of, of, of opinion in, uh, in Washington, London, and elsewhere, then, then the Chinese might well uh, fall in line. Uh, these uh, resource-related uh, preoccupations of China uh, are, are not uh, necessarily uh, barriers that, that, uh, that can't be uh, uh, chipped away at. One of the things that I've heard a lot of people express concern about is the gender balance in China. How do you think that's going to play out? That's a very difficult one. The, the Chinese are uh, undergoing a, a, a great debate at the moment over uh, whether the one-child policy that, uh, that has been in effect uh, uh, for, much of, for most of the last three decades should, should, uh, should be continued. And, and one uh, a big issue that is driving that debate is is, is the one that you mention uh, this uh, gender imbalance uh, uh, is uh, potentially one uh, uh, they worry that um, uh, that could be uh, destabilizing uh, with uh, with so many uh, unmarried men uh, 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 moving. Uh, uh, around the country, uh, uh, but I think uh, their bigger worry is is uh, is not so much the gender imbalance, but the other uh, demographic problems that are being uh, generated by uh, by the one-child policy, and 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 the big one looming for them uh, is. Uh, is quite simply a, um, a, a peaking uh, which will occur sometime uh, in, in the coming decade of, of, uh, of their working age population. Uh, and then rapidly thereafter, the, the aging of China uh, and the fear that uh, this country will, uh, uh, will become old before it becomes rich. Uh, and when you talk about peaking, about how many jobs will China need to create? Each year to employ its population. Well, it, it, it currently needs to create uh, well over 10 million uh, jobs every year. Um, uh, uh, that is still a, a huge, huge uh, task for them. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, rates of economic growth over the last decade uh, have. Uh, have enabled them to achieve it uh, with uh, with relatively little um, obvious sign of uh, trouble on the streets uh, arising from uh, from joblessness. Uh, uh, as I've said, I think I think the economic situation in the, in the next uh, uh, sort of uh, few years uh, could um, could turn against them in that respect. Uh, so they, they will still be grappling with this problem uh, uh, for several years to come. Uh, what, however, they will begin to lose is, uh, is the edge they've enjoyed um, uh, in terms of what has seemed uh, an unlimited pool of uh, low-cost labor. Uh, and uh, other countries, and India is an obvious one, uh, uh, will... Uh, uh, begin to surpass them in, in that particular 
uh, respect uh, that uh, uh, India will uh, uh, continue to enjoy a booming uh, working age population long after China has uh, has peaked. James, as we come to a close in about another minute, minute and a half, what are some of the toughest challenges you face as a Western journalist in China? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, one has to point out that those challenges have diminished enormously over, over, over the, the time that I've been working here as a journalist, uh, which, which began way back in, uh, in 1986 for United Press International. Uh, back then, uh, China uh, was much more what one, one could call a totalitarian uh, country. It was extremely difficult to operate, very difficult uh, to get outside Beijing, uh, to get permission to, to leave Beijing. We were routinely followed by secret agents. Our uh, contacts were uh, hassled by uh, the secret police. Uh, uh, it, it was a riskier environment from that point of view, not so much uh, for us, but certainly for the people uh, we met. Now things have freed up considerably, and, and just over the last couple of years in particular, uh, new regulations have come in that mean that we no longer need to get permission to leave the capital when we go reporting in the provinces. We're given much greater access to uh, to, uh, to major incidents such as the rioting in, in uh, Xinjiang that, uh, that erupted in, in July, the kind of thing that the authorities uh, even just a few years ago would have been extremely embarrassed about letting foreign journalists see and would have strenuously uh, stopped us from, from trying to do so. Uh, however, uh, problems still persist. Uh, a, a secretive uh, bureaucracy, a leadership that is still uh, very nervous about meeting uh, foreign journalists, uh, particularly at the Politburo level. We have now have less access to Politburo level leaders than we had back in the 1980s. Uh, and uh, all the kind of problems, actually, that you would associate with other, uh, many other developing countries. When we go out into the countryside, more, more local resistance, in a way, to our, uh, to our presence there. Officials sometimes deploying thugs to, uh, to keep journalists, uh, foreign journalists, uh, away. Well. Uh, uh, so, so, so more uh, caution sometimes required, even, even though we are allowed to travel more freely. Well, we're glad you're out there doing it. And I want to uh, remind all of our listeners to be sure to read the October 24th edition of The Economist, the special report on China and America. It is outstanding. I've had the privilege of, of, of reading a draft. James, I want to thank you for spending an hour of your evening with us. We're grateful to you and all of your colleagues at The Economist for sharing with our members your expertise on world issues. It's certainly been a pleasure talking with you today, and if you're not yet a subscriber to The Economist, uh, I hope you'll become one very quickly. And I'd like to again thank The Economist for its partnership with the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth and the University of North Texas for its sponsorship of Global IQ. Thanks to all of the World Affairs Councils of America for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed the program, and we'll be talking with you next month. And remember, together, The Economist and the World Affairs Council put you on top of your world. Thank you.